piece of advice I have for someone trying to succeed in the film industry or any creative space is if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. Welcome to Around the Craft Table, a podcast about movies, making movies, and other stuff. It's Miles here. Welcome back to Around the Craft Table. Today I'm joined by my friends Miranda and Will. What's up? Hello. Hey. Hi. How's it going? Welcome to me, specifically. Hello. It's going good. It's going good. Good? What about you, Will? It's well, it's, it's going well. I just made a really awkward int- introduction on this podcast I'm on. Nice. I'm not sure if you heard it. Maybe they'll cut it out. Whoa. Will. You're on another podcast? Why you're recording oh this? Oh my one? god. Yeah. What? I, I, yeah, I'm actually recording two at the same time. Oh. It's uh yeah, I'm working on this other podcast called Behind the Scenes of Around the Craft Table where it's <laughs> it's exclusively my voice um re- when we record the episode and you guys aren't there. So it's just me essentially talking to nothing. Um, I already have uh 500,000 Patreons, pa- patrons on Patreon nice. all giving me like on average, like an eighty dollar donation. So, like CERB, who needs it? I got Patreon. That's my CERB. Nice. Wait, so you made a Patreon for this podcast that we're not cutting up the official podcast content. It's just <laughs> <laughs> exclusive. William. You know, it's 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 like William it's content. like it's like a new meta art film. You know, like it's yeah. all about getting like that your own personal and creative voice out there. So like I'm like, it's. It's still part of this other thing, but it's like you know how like or like different parts like create the sum of like the different parts you know when like with like math and stuff, but like creative instead. So there's me talking, and that's basically it. It's Wait. just another way to be creative. I I should create my own Patreon page for my voice. I think that sounds like a good idea. You could call it Miranda Sings. <laughs> 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 I haven't heard that one before. So, while they're busy creating their Patreon pages and, and getting thousands of dollars a month, let's uh, talk about a thing. Specifically a thing that I wrote and we recorded last week, which was an essay about individual voices and why those are important in filmmaking, as well as any art medium, I suppose. And why they're important, both in terms of uh, quality of content, but the money that goes into and comes out of, out of consumers' wallets and production companies' wallets. I read this article like a year and a half ago. The author complained that every major blockbuster movie is the same, and yet they had just gone to see a Wes Anderson movie, and they were complaining that they didn't like the movie because he has such a unique style that it's too weird for them to get um, comfortable with. And I just kind of had this moment of, wait, you can't, that's not how this works. Like, you can't hate everything mainstream and hate everything artsy and still, like movies basically and so it it raises question in my mind of what are we sacrificing as creatives when we are told to ignore all the training that we have ignore all the individual artistic ideas that we have in an effort to just make the most money we can from a project and on the other side of that what do we gain when we're just given a blank check to let our creative voice completely flow freely? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> my, uh, my general like take on this coming from like the filmmaker angle is I think there's like a lot of pressure. Um, there's a lot of pressure to like, 
know the conventions of things before you intentionally break them, right? There's a lot of like that kind of thing that we learn pretty early on. Like when I first started out in film, I was like, oh, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just going to do this because I want to. And then people were like, well, you're breaking rules here. You need to know what those are before you go and break them so that you know what the intent is behind those rules. But then I find that the system that builds us into that that format where we start to learn those rules is the same system that pressures you to res- to um, keep producing the same kinds of things. Like yeah. We're told to experiment in school and then once you get out into the world, it's like now you're on set, now you're doing this, 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 and this. And I find that like... I guess my question is, I guess to you guys and like maybe to also the people listening is like, what do you respect more? You know, like that's what the thought I was having was like, what do you respect more? Is it the person that is it the person that like experiments and 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 finds like some gold in that? Or is it the person that's really good at 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 uh, at reproducing what we know works? Yeah, for me, it's a bit of both, because, like, for every one person that you sort of just mentioned, Miranda, where they, where they explore an experiment and they find gold, there's, like, two or three that don't, and I think, for me, it's the same thing with um, reproducing what we know works. For every one that does it really well, there's two or three that just sort of when I watch their work, it feels like I'm just watching them do a job, if that makes sense. Yeah. I I think that there's actually probably a mix of both. Like, I think it would be hard to split them up into two different categories because I think there's always room for experimentation, even when you're following the rules. Um, even if you don't even realize it, you're probably going to try new things or you're going to be like, you know, I, I want to get this shot to, because I think it would look cool, but chances are you'll, you'll, um, you'll, you'll, you'll back it up with some, like, just basic coverage or something like that. So I, I think there's, I think it's hard to even say that there's two different kinds of filmmaking. I mean, there's clearly very experimental films that are just, well, experimental but I think that there's experimentation every time you, you start making a, a movie, whether uh, it's your intention to experiment or not. Yeah. Sure. I think, um, <clears throat> just going back to Miles, your point about Wes Anderson, that, that individual who wrote that article who, who found it hard to digest that type of film. I think... I mean, Wes Anderson obviously stands out to many people as a filmmaker that has a very unique style to his work. And I mean, I can also, I can also draw like a similar um, comparison to Nicholas Winding Refn's like Drive and Only God Forgives, like the way that those films look, um, they have a certain essence to them, but those ones ride much more on the conventional Hollywood than I would say Anderson's work. And so it's interesting to see the way that filmmakers who lean more towards the conventions of filmmaking on like a, on like a 21st century blockbuster standard have begun playing with those rules yeah um and and you can you notice it you know you notice when people are playing with them like um like as much as we like marvel you know or stuff like that they're super conventional they're super um i guess super predictable in the way that like you know there's going to be action 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 and then there's going to be a break or sometimes there's a comedic break in action so it's just kind of interesting, like, I don't know, it's like, you enjoy both those kind of films, perhaps, I mean, it's subjective, but you enjoy both those kind of films, but for different reasons, right? Totally. One of the things that, like, often sticks out to me 
in in the climate of that mixture of blockbuster and experimentation are the John Wick movies. They kind of they are kind of my go-to for how to take something as conventional as an assassin who's getting revenge and make them really, really interesting. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're directed by um, stunt people. So for years, those are the folks, you know, that are taking the falls, taking the bumps and everything. And they're not really highlighted on camera. So to see them sort of reinvent the way that we are presented action as audiences in that it's not full of like cuts every 10 seconds. We're allowed to actually watch a fight and watch somebody get hit and sort of, although they're not actually getting hit if they're being safe, of course, um, we're really given the opportunity to really feel those punches and the, or whatever the weapon is because they're not cutting every 10 seconds to hide Stunt double. Yeah, I find that kind of movie making so much, so much more um, enjoyable to watch because you can actually see, you can actually see what's happening. You're not just, you're not just be yeah, like you said, like the quick cuts. They're you, you can you can see what's happening, and you're not just being like thrown around the screen essentially with with. Uh, editing magic yeah do you think the average moviegoer is like oh um that director directed this so i want to see it because i liked their last movie or do you think people follow more um more like actors because i find like people that follow actors like let's say uh chris evans for example like oh i like captain america so i'm gonna go and see knives out Right. Yeah. Um, people that are motivated by like the the draw of a performer or like Scarlett Johansson, like, um, oh, I really liked Lost in Translation, so I'm gonna go see Marriage Story. Right. Like, people that are thinking about that as the motivation to go and see the movie may not have the same experience that they had when they watched Lost in Translation, watching Marriage Story, because that's a totally different subject matter, totally different filmmaker. Um. But people that follow the directors, um, do you think the average person would follow a director? Like people that don't, uh, people that don't make films and don't understand like the filmmaking um, that are on the structure of it. and the process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, for me, I just like observationally talking to friends and family members of mine who aren't on the inside. Um, it depends on the director, because there's sometimes where, like, if you take a look at, like, John Carpenter's work, like Halloween or The Thing or stuff like that, people associate him with it almost as much as they do the character of Michael Myers, because those movies are made in such a specific way, you know what I mean? Or like a Steven Spielberg. It's kind of when you go see a Steven Spielberg movie regardless of what the, the plot is and the story is, if you're going to see a Steven Spielberg movie, you kind of know what you're going to get, which is a, a very well-made, um, highly polished movie. And you can know that just by, from his name, really, and... and how popular his movies have become. I think uh, that, like, directors, like, big-name directors like Steven Spielberg, are, it's more like the exception than the rule. I think people are more likely to follow actors around because those are the faces that they see in the film, and they could really like a character or or a performance, and it could, it could be... Um, and it could easily make them want to listen to more of that person's music like i think a good a good comparison might be if you think of the music industry you have a lot of um 
artists who don't write their own songs are written by ghostwriters, but you wouldn't follow a ghostwriter around. You would follow the, the person singing it. True. Oh man, I'm just I'm thinking about all these directors that I would like use as examples and they all have such strong aesthetics. Like you can really draw like a line and 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 know how that movie led to this movie led to this movie. Like I'm thinking about Edgar Wright and like his, you know, his several films that yeah. he's done and how they all kind of have this through line of almost like a thematic link like even outside of like Hot Fuzz, World's End, um, you have like films like Baby Driver that just feel like an Edgar Wright film. Yeah. Even though it's, you know, extremely, uh, Baby Driver's got a lot different kinds of stuff going on, but just the way it, it cuts and the way that it feels, you know, the, the jokes that he's going for, the way it feels. Yeah. Um, when you, when you see a Noah Baumbach film, they might be different, but you can kind of tell. It's a Noah Baumbach Who's written movie. and directed that film. Yeah. Yeah. Or like um, Jordan Peele. Yep. Right? So, I don't know. I just think it's a hard thing to, like, not see. Once you've seen it once, you can't unsee it. For me, the go-to example of that is a guy like Michael Bay. He is the absolute perfect blend of way too much style and way too much mainstream. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows exactly who his audience is, which is everybody. And he knows exactly what they like, which is everything or nothing, depending on their mood. And he knows exactly how to give it to them. That's why his movies, whether they're, whether the story's good or not, that's why they always do really well because he knows, he knows how to craft a movie that most likely everybody who sees it will find something that, that they like. And you can give him a lot of shit for the ridiculous explosion count in his movies or the gratuitous um, slow-mo and the fact that everybody looks like they're made out of orange rinds. But the guy just knows how to make a, a good movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, like a like an experience, like a good exactly. blockbuster experience. Yeah. Something where you're reacting and you're like, whoa, and you kind of like throw your head back a little bit. Popcorn exactly. jostles a little bit. You get that thrill. You're like, whoa, okay. Yeah. That was cool. Totally. And then for me, the exact opposite of that is someone like, Zack Snyder, who just feels like, when I watch his movies, I honestly consistently feel like I'm watching a, a poor imitation of a Michael Bay movie. Like, he's trying to do all of those things that you described, Miranda, in terms of the, the, the your head gets thrown back and the, whoa, and this is super fun. I feel like he's trying to do all that stuff and simultaneously slide an underpinning of like drama and character development but none of it lands it all it all just feels thin and even worse than feeling thin which michael bay's movies definitely do they zack snyder's movies to me present thin like it's just it, they're they're obvious and not in a clever way Oh God! Pardon? I just looked at his uh, on his letterboxed, like I'm looking at letterboxed, and uh, Zack Snyder did Sucker Punch in uh, 2011. Yeah, which was a movie that had a trailer like um, like uh, Suicide Squad. I liked the like trailer for Sucker Punch. So good. Yeah, but then it was just not that. No, um, not that it wasn't. Not that it was bad, bad, bad to the core or anything, but it was like the movie didn't know what it was. It underdelivered. <laughs> oh, ridiculously so. I was like, am I watching an anime? Am I watching like a family drama where like everyone has daddy issues? Am I watching an uh, like a weird fever dream where there's an insane asylum? Or are they anime comic book characters? I don't know what's going on. The answer to those questions are yes. I'm looking at his uh, filmography here because I've I. 
I, I couldn't, when you said his name, I could not tell you uh-huh. a, a movie that he's directed. That's, that's how little I know about him, but Fair I've enough. seen a couple of these movies. Um, most specifically, I've seen uh, 300, which I liked that when I saw amazing. it the first time. I, I, <laughs> I, I like it, but also I, I, I'm interested in history. Not that 300 is a historical documentary, <laughs> but I mean, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's we, uh, yeah. Um, I, I would I say that's one of his though. best on the list here. Uh, I've seen Dawn of the Dead, which was good, but that's very different to um literally everything uh, else he's made since yeah um the uh and then i've seen suicide squad i watched it on a plane which um i'm like yeah i'm i'm glad i watched this on a plane <laughs> yeah i was so hyped for uh, that because i like the director the writer director quite a bit um david Ayer or Ayer. um and so I was so hyped for that movie. Like you said, Miranda, that trailer was so good. And then the movie comes out, and everyone I know that saw it just hated it. Yeah. I thought Will Smith carried that movie so hard. In yeah. Just every way imaginable. Yeah. But if if I if you compare like the styles of those three movies, granted that that they were made over. 12 years it looks like um mm-hmm. i don't really see like a distinct style that comes out it's based on my what i remember of seeing them again that's three movies out of like a whole bunch well but, he's definitely um, got a visual aesthetic to his films Snyder does yeah um Let's talk about a filmmaker who's had a little bit of a variety of, uh, <laughs> of, 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 um, not genre, but just like, you know, well, yeah, kind of genre. Um, let's talk about Denis Villeneuve for a second. Sure. I'm not as familiar um, with all of his work, but I've seen a few things. So he's a, uh, Canadian, uh, born director. I think he's from Montreal, Quebec. Um, so some of his earlier work is in French. Um, the first film, I, I haven't seen some of his earlier work, but his oldest film that I've seen is Incendies, which is a, a movie that's based on a play uh, that was written by a, Leban- uh, a, a Lebanese-Canadian playwright. And it's it's fiction. But uh, it's all about uh, these two kids that are, like, looking for the the truth of their mother's life and the life she led um, back in Lebanon. And uh, it's a, it's, I saw this film after I'd seen Blade Runner 2049, Arrival, Sicario, like, all these other films that he'd done. And, like, looking at that earlier work, I was like... I can see like that this is Villeneuve's hand. Yeah. It's extremely different because you know it's it's almost like this autobiographical style. There's like you know, they're shooting in Lebanon, so it like landscape wise very different from some of his other work. But there is something about it that I was like you can just tell it's him. And I don't know, I just find that interesting. Um, yeah. So, But a lot of the films that he's done have been really grand. And, like, in scale, you mean? Yeah, like, in narrative and in scale. Like, they're just very grand stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. The ones that I've seen have always got me sort of pondering my own existence a little bit after I've finished watching them. Totally.
so here's a question. Um, when you, as you make more and more films and, and your careers develop and progress, do you find yourself being drawn to, I don't want to phrase it, being drawn to looking for a particular aesthetic and style in the stuff that you make? Or do you find yourself sort of just wanting to make something that works and is what you intended it to be when you started the creative process? Um, I, uh, I don't think I am at the point yet in my career to um, have even developed a style. Um, I... Uh, well, I, I'm just, I'm just leaving school now. I just graduated. Um, yay! Woo! Thank you. It's, it is a yay moment. Um, but I, I definitely do not have, uh, a style, I would say. I mean, I've tried different things. Um, uh, I mean, the closest thing I could say I have to a style is that sometimes I make really dumb movies that are just stupid. I don't know, is that a style? More like a theme. <laughs> but uh, I think that as I'm getting more of a grip on just how to make films, um, that style is something I'll be able to think about more and develop as I go. But f my mindset for, for any project I'm working on is kind of what would best suit the story. So rather than taking, I mean, there's always going to be personal biases, but rather than developing my own personal style and applying it to a story, I would prefer to think about the story and then maybe develop a style to go with it. That's that's how I, in the future, would like to think about it, although it remains to be seen how things turn out, yeah. but I think that's how I would think about it. Miranda, do you have... What I think my style is? Well, do you or find I... yourself, whether purposefully or just kind of subconsciously do you find your stuff leaning in a particular style or do you find yourself thinking in a particular style language or aesthetic language when you sit down to either write something or if you've already written it um and you're getting it ready to be made do you find yourself thinking about a certain style or are you still developing that for yourself well, yeah, I mean, I think I'm in Will's corner here where I was like, I think that my style still needs to figure itself out for sure. Sure. Um, however, uh, I was recently chatting with uh, Adam, podcast friend, Adam Yazinski. Friend of the show. We were kind of just talking. Yeah, we were just kind of talking about um, style and, 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 uh, and, and and like the look of your like the look that you present or like the thematic feel of your work and he had a rather insightful point about my work that he shared with me um where he was kind of talking about how it it really tends to uh reflect um like an ominous feeling like a psychological ominous feeling okay um where it I don't know how to describe it in the way that he 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 said it so well um, cuz Adam has a really uh good way of like explaining what he's like trying to get across yeah but it was definitely something about the psychological exploration of character and I and I think that I think that I tend to write and I'm not sure if this is necessarily answering the question, but I tend to write uh, protagonists that are, in a way, a bit like the audience. They're a little bit naive to what's going on, and, and, and throughout the film, like as the audience is figuring stuff out, they're also figuring stuff out. Um, and my genre that I tend to go to is like thriller or drama. Um with like a little bit of lean into horror here and then, but it's not like, like a hard horror 
line or anything like that. It's very much, it's very much just little tidbits here and there because I mean, I haven't made a feature film yet or anything either. So a lot of my shorts tend to kind of teeter between genres sometimes. Um, But yeah, I, I, I think I tend to write stuff with really dark antagonists, whether that antagonist is within the protagonist themselves or is a serial killer trying to kill them or, um, a really bad parent like there's just sort of a line that I've kind of had with my work that I, I find my work is never light you know in the sense of like emotionally and stuff I, I find yeah I find my, my work never leaves people feeling good interesting um and I would say that's intentional. I was just going to ask you. Like, yeah. I would say that's intentional. My most recent thing I've written is probably the darkest I've ever done. But it has such a hopeful over like undertone to it. Okay. But that hopefulness comes from uh, selfishness. So... I like playing with just doomed protagonists. Like, things just suck. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's a reflection about how I feel about life, but I I think that even if you don't know what, like, visual style it is necessarily, um, and so far I've tended to go for, like, low saturation, like, something that's either sepia or kind of, like, a little desaturated, dark, harsh shadows, like, I tend to go, like, leaning into, like, inspiration from noir and stuff like that, but... Yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't say I have a like a distinct style, but like that's kind of the stories I tend to tell. And, and I would argue uh, that that's all part of style. Like it's not just a yeah. visual thing. It's still it's still becoming what it is gonna be. Sure. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. still morphing into what it's that hopefully gonna maybe look a certain way. But um, yeah, that's my answer. Okay. <laughs> uh, can I can I make a quick tangent of a story that's actually related to uh, this topic? Sure. Which Go I for think, it. Uh, I think you'll appreciate. Um, so, uh, like I said, I I make, I tend to make like really dumb, stupid movies, usually based off of like a dumb idea I've had. I'm like, oh, this would be this one specific bit would be funny. Like I wrote and shot a movie, or wrote and directed a movie last year that was never going to see the light of day because of how terrible it was. That was about, um, basically that it was. I wrote it a couple of hours based on the premise that this guy goes to a poker game where everybody takes everything too literally so like when they do the small blind they poke each other in the eyes and and it's and that's kind of <laughs> and that's and that's that's that was the meat of the story um, and it's, it was so stupid but it reminds me of when i was in film school with miranda and we wrote scripts for a film two class and uh, other people had to had to um, critique them, edit them, and give feedback or whatever. And and Miranda bred mine, and I tried to do, like this serious thing that was just super. It was in hindsight, it was terrible, super cliche, and just lacked any sort of research into any of the topics I was covering. And so just oh. just not good. Was and that the one the... about the guy going through like the um therapy? No. No, it was about, like, these brothers go into the woods, and one of them, uh, basically, you know what, I, I don't even, I don't even want to describe what it is, because in hindsight, I'm like, I should never have written this, but basically, it's about these two, two guys who go into the woods and are looking for a treasure, um, and it was supposed to be, like, this dark movie. I remember, I remember this, I remember this. Um, and... And, and like I said, in hindsight, I'm like, oh my god, this thing is so, it's so terrible. But um, you wrote <laughs> on the feedback, this would make a great comedy <laughs> or something like that. And I will never forget that as just the greatest criticism I've ever received. Because I thought it was so savage and so funny. I'm sorry, I like, Will. I thought it was so funny. I was like, oh my god. Um, like this is a great comedy, and I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. Oh my um, god! You, know, I... you, you don't you have don't... to apologize. I just, I think it's just hilarious. 
<laughs> I've become so much more like cutthroat and harsh with my feedback now because I spent like the whole last semester editing scripts for my screenwriting class because I was put in a head writer role and so I feel like that's still something I would say but I am so sorry if it ever made you feel um like I'm I'm you know because because like I think I think the 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 reason why I probably said that was just because of like it being take it took itself too seriously and I felt like it would actually be a good comedy I, if it was I, to loosen itself a little bit you know what I, I mean I think I think you're a hundred percent right. Um, <laughs> like, no, the, the movie was definitely just like, uh, like I said, super cliche. It's just, it's it's gone. I'm sure the script is gone forever. I actually no, I might have a physical copy from when we did the pitches, but it's that thing's never seen the light of day of anything. But um, I just, I at first I was, I I'm pretty sure I remember being like. Oh my god! Like I was, I was like upset at first, and then it's like actually this is totally, absolutely hilarious and such good feedback. <laughs> so, and that kind of goes full circle to like maybe I'm just meant to make really dumb, stupid, funny movies. <laughs> maybe that's my style, <laughs> and that's why it is relevant to this conversation. <laughs> that was a good. That was a good. Was, I remember that. That was and, an uh, actual cool story, bro. I'm making <laughs> cool story, bro. Tell it again. No. Okay. Like... So this one time. Oh, <laughs> so this one time in uh, film one. Um, yeah, no, but like I think hearing other people's interpretations of your work is like a really cool thing. And and sometimes people have said things about my work, and they're just like, oh, like, well, have you thought about this? And I'm just like, no. And they're like, oh, I think it would be really good. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. Like that insight is something that sometimes we're blind to because we're in, in this little tunnel heading toward the project that has no outside input. It's just at the end and we just kind of have to climb through the tunnel to get there. But then what happens when we like, oh my God, this is going to be a stupid ass metaphor, but like what happens when we chip away at the corners of the tunnel and light shines in? Yeah. Duh! Mic drop. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is a ridiculous metaphor. <laughs> but I love it because it's those it's are the accurate. kind of things you see on Tumblr, and then Tumblr girls are like, "Oh, so beautiful, so oh, I feel that." So deep. <laughs> um, let's just not break. Let's just keep going because I I want to kind of try to be done by like seven. That's fair. Um, totally yeah. fair. Leave this in. Leave this in. <laughs> so, a what? <laughs> I, said, I said leave it in. <laughs> leave it in. <laughs> let's just keep going. Uh... <laughs> Do you think it's important that we, just as consumers, not not filmmakers, but just as people that watch or listen or read or whatever, do you think it's important that we're presented with styles that are so specifically distinct, such as like let's say Wes Anderson, or in the writing in the world of uh, literature, somebody like. Chuck Palahniuk, who is so distinct in their material that you can't not know that it's their work, or does not having a distinctive voice not make a difference in terms of what you would watch? Like, are you less likely to watch something that doesn't have a distinctive flavor to it as opposed to something that does? regardless of what the genre or medium. I think I'm less likely to watch something if it doesn't, but I, I'm more likely to watch something that does. Like, okay. for, for example, um, if I see that there's a new Wes Anderson film or I see there's a new Edgar Wright film, I'm much more likely to click on that and, and stream that from Netflix than streaming a film I've never heard of before or uh, from a director I've never really watched before. Does that make sense? Despite what the reviews might say about that director you've never heard of? Yeah, I think so. Because, like, um, I, I know what I'm going to be getting. So, depending on, like, my mood and what I'm in, in the mood for, like, I'm much more likely to, I think, go to something familiar. And I think that's just, like, humans. Like, I think we are, like, I think there are people that are, like, very adventurous and, like, want to <sighs> investigate and interrogate those things uh, for sure. But, like, for me, especially with, like, film and 
and even even reading like books and stuff like that like i'm gonna go to authors that i'm familiar with and much quicker than i would if uh i didn't and sometimes you know you're disappointed sometimes you you wish you hadn't done that but um i think it's easier to make that decision okay you know yeah i don't really put even that much thought into like that much consideration into um into picking one movie over another uh or if i do it's usually based on oh i like this actor so maybe i'm i'm the 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 guy i was talking about earlier who who will follow actors more than than directors a lot of the time but if i see something on on netflix or something and it has an actor that i like in it then i'm way more likely to watch it versus versus a director like example i can think of is uh like Elijah Wood, he's in a Netflix series, uh, Dirk Gently. I mean, I haven't finished the first season, but I started watching it because he was in it. I'm like, oh my god, Elijah Wood, the legend. You never see him in anything anymore. But um, I I started watching it because of Elijah Wood. Um, and so I guess for me, yeah, the influence would be more based on who's in it versus... Uh, who who directed it and i feel like that choosing a choosing a thing to consume a, me, a piece of media to consume based on an actor is just as much of a style choice because you're going for what they do and the way that they portray a character more than anything else right like i i it's not just like a i don't mean to present the argument as though it's directors only it's definitely from any perspective any angle, but it was sort of like what, how much value do you place on an individual voice as opposed to the cohesive pro- the finished product? Well, and there are certain actors that have risen to this, to this um, standard where whether it's their agents or them choosing the films that they take roles in, they're they're leaning towards a specific kind of quality. Like I can only really, you know, commend Ryan Gosling for his choices, like in the roles that he's taken over the years. Yeah. Because almost every film I've seen him in, he's quite phenomenal and the film's quite phenomenal. Yeah, Um, for sure. I'm not saying every film necessarily like full stop, but like, if you look at the quality of his filmography over the last five, ten years, um, these are substantially solid films. Um, yeah. And similarly with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal or Amy Adams, like these actors that, you know, whether it's yeah, whether it's their uh, agents or them, they're they're making some <laughs> some good choices on the on the content you know yeah totally. scripts um okay so my question is for you guys um do you think unintended takeaways so maybe something the filmmaker didn't um plan on audiences taking away from their work um do you see those as ultimately successes or failures and I know that's like a big like question, but I just want their existence in the movie or whether or not we have one as an audience person. Like, yeah, whether or not you have one or their existence. Because well, it, it takes it to exist for it to be taken away. Yeah, I suppose. Um, in even the smallest way. And when you say success or failure in sort of. In what sense do you mean? Like, does that make me Should like the filmmaker see that? Should the filmmaker see that as a success or a failure? Whether or not it made the, that audience group or that person like it more or like it less? Should they see that as, as good that that was in there or bad? I suppose for me it would depend on what the takeaway was. Okay. Like, if I made a movie that was particularly um, anti-war, for example, and, like, 10% of the audience was receiving it as pro-war, 
Um, I don't know if I'd consider that a success because that's not at all where I was going. But at the end of the day, if they're happy with the film as an audience person, that's what really matters. If they liked it. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting take. Uh, what about you, Will? Uh, I think a lot of movies will have <clears throat> multiple themes and chances are not everyone is going to relate or take away all, all of them. Um, but I think filmmakers include more than one a lot of the time so that it can appeal to a wider audience. Uh, and I think that, I think, yeah, like what Miles said, if, if you take, if, if, if someone takes away from your film, the polar opposite of what you were trying to get across, then I think you've failed in some aspect of the filmmaking process. Interesting. Um, obviously, there's there's different there's different measures. If the movie makes a billion dollars, but your really theme is completely, what's that? I said, is it really a failure in that case? If it makes a bit like, <laughs> yeah, if yeah, it, exactly. Like if if it makes like a ton of money, well, other people will say, oh, it's a success. But if you're talking specifically about like theme, yeah. Um, then it it really depends. It it depends on the film. I think I think every film that has a theme in it, which all films should or should at least to some extent, um I think that you could just make a case uh, like on a case by case basis judge films um on on whether or not uh they they succeeded in in getting their theme across. I feel like I've turned this question to something else, or I lost my train of thought, or something. But no, it's okay. Um, it's all good. That's that's uh, that's my thought. I've a I've an interesting relationship to like this question because I feel like throughout my entire career as a you know aspiring and then indie filmmaker, I've kind of had this line of work that I, I've only really had one film that I think w I would consider successful in so far as the theme actually getting to the audience properly. Okay. And that's just, and that's just based on the fact that the reception that I've heard from people um, has aligned to what I was trying to do. And in other work that I've had, um, where I've tried to do way more than I think I should have done, where I've tried to, you know, inter interweave these other themes or these other ideas, it gets muddled in what you're trying to say. And like, that, this is just a personal uh, experience. I'm not saying that this applies to everything, but um, I had uh, this one thought about how I, I think every theme, every intent, uh, and this is my opinion, feel free to disagree with it, but every intent that, that a filmmaker has to, to, to communicate it to the audience should be something that is within like an arm's reach, an emotion, like a theme, like the theme of family, the theme of regret, the theme of guilt. Those things are within arm's reach of us because we as people understand what those emotions are. We understand what those themes are everybody's felt them in one way or another. Um, no matter how hard the wall is between the subject and the, uh, for example, the subject in the film and the audience, no matter how, how much that wall is built up, like let's say we have an issue with guilt in terms of trauma. No matter how reinforced that wall is to like break down, it's still within arm's reach because it's right inside you, right? Yeah. And so I feel like the second we try to make those themes like mean so much different stuff, that's the second that the film becomes this tangented sort of weird amalgam between things where people aren't really sure what how to feel. What the point was? Yeah. And I, as a writer, 
prior to like understanding that that has to happen at a script level, which, you know, obviously, but at the time wasn't very, uh, my, my script writing wasn't as strong. Yeah. That's something that I struggled with was like, Oh, I have all these ideas and I have this big world and, but no one knows the world in my head. No one knows the world in my head. They just know what's on the page. Exactly. I struggled with that too. Yeah. So I just wanted to lend that because uh, that's some of the thoughts I was having. And I I think that to answer the question that I asked you guys, I think I would say that if there's a bunch of unintended takeaways, your film might have failed. Not necessarily, but it might have failed. Interesting. Um, Because I think people should feel what you really meant them to feel in their own way in how they're going to interpret it. That might look differently for everyone. Like, so... But if you're trying to communicate the theme of guilt, the the theme of guilt should come up in that person's head when they're watching the movie. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So, like, it should be clear without necessarily being obvious. Yeah. Like, upon pondering it afterwards, you're like, that was an interesting portrayal of guilt yeah. in the way that character confronted it. I liked that. Or I didn't like that. I found it uncomfortable, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just the thought I was having. Is, is I, think, I think, because I view it as failure, for me, I think it's a failure. But I also understand that we're human and we make mistakes. And we also sometimes get lost in the sauce, literally, uh, with themes and stuff like that. I hadn't and, uh, considered stuff. it to be, for myself, to be perfectly honest, I hadn't considered whether or not I, I just hadn't thought about unintended takeaways and what they could, what consequence they could have on someone's viewing experience and what my responsibility I, uh... is in that, in relationship to that. Yeah. And is it our responsibility in hindsight, hindsight 2020, this is the year, um, is it our responsibility <laughs> to uh, acknowledge that? Like once we've, we've understood that that's the case? I think in a way, like it just, it feels better to acknowledge it and just go like, yeah, I made a movie that like didn't make a lot of sense to you guys. I'm sorry. I'm still learning. Or, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I was in my head too much with this there's too much going on in this movie this next movie is going to be better because i learned from that movie but you know hindsight coming back to this one it's probably going to have different problems but like is it our responsibility to acknowledge those like in a public way like in a private way like i don't know i just have a lot of thoughts about this stuff because i find it really interesting like personal growth and creative fields i feel for me that's kind of like a that's kind of at the heart of what the essay was trying to argue um, is the idea of how much and how important is the individual creative hand of the director making the movie or the writer writing the book. And do we owe it to the audiences or our audiences owed, I think more appropriately phrasing, um, our audiences owed an acknowledgement when that creative hand goes either too far, like you said, Miranda, and sort of misses the mark and goes too far, and the artist goes too far inside their own head or whatever, or what about when they don't go far enough? Do they also owe us as audience members not necessarily like a literal explanation, but is there some responsibility that we are owed from them when it comes to their next project, whether they know it or we know it or not consciously, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's different for everyone. Like, how do you grow? You know, like, do you grow best? Do you grow best from reflecting inward on things or do you grow best from seeking, um, seeking the opinions of others. I think people grow in different ways that way. Sure. I don't know. I can't answer that question for everyone, but it's an interesting thought. 
I think the first step is growing to the point where you can do either of those things because um, I think there's a lot of people who um, aren't there. Myself included at a point in the past would have trouble I receiving any sort of feedback that was negative and also thinking and realizing, oh, I screwed this up or I could do this better. Um, but now I, I, I think that a lot of these issues that you're mentioning about um, the theme not being understood or taken away can be avoided or circumvented just by having checks and balances throughout the entire creative process of having people read what you're doing and look at it and before even getting to the production phase knowing that you're going in with the story that you want to tell rather than um, making it and then seeing if you got across what you wanted to um, yeah. I think that that feedback process is very important yeah like it's impossible to fix thematic story elements in post like it's impossible. <laughs> you, That's an impossible you, you, task. You, you, like you could, you could try so maybe some audio splicing, oh, uh, God. some Cuts. animation, uh, some still frames. Um, yeah, we're just editing reality TV ex- now. It's some, not even a movie yeah. anymore. <laughs> some uh, some some supers just some giving super some <laughs> very very perfect exposition, explaining exactly what you want the audience to take away. Right. Super. Do it. So this thing happened right before this, okay? <laughs> We know Please this stuff's not in the movie, but look. Do you guys, um, did you guys go through, like, a phase in your writing where you wanted everything to have so much meaning? Like, where you're like, this shot is gonna be like this because this character feels blank. Yeah. And it's gonna have yeah. this color because this character feels blank. I think I'm still in that. But I mean, I, because well, I thought about this. Um, uh, I maybe not in the same way that you're you're describing, but um, I think about like a feature length film and how all the scenes have to move the like they have to move the plot or develop the characters in some way, from what I understand, or else uh, you're not gonna have a very interesting film, and. Um, but sometimes a scene that develops a character could be as simple as someone sitting outside on their porch, smoking a cigarette and scrolling through Twitter or, or something. Um, yeah. And that can be used to tell the story. But the thing is, uh, fi- I think finding the balance between having these, like you said, like every, like these very heavy handed stylized this is gonna have so much meaning moments with the smaller moments that still tell the story but in a more real way rather than the like over and over these moments full of just meaning which i think at least for me is uh at least in my opinion i should say probably something that's really difficult to do in short films considering how little time you have um is I know the last film I worked on, I think everything was chock full of what we intended it to mean, and the pacing was all weird because it was like so much happened so fast that there wasn't a lot of time to like settle, and this was something we noticed after the fact. So I think for me personally, finding a balance where I can tell these stories in an effective way without being too just in my own head, I guess, about what each thing is going to do. I think that's just what I'm still working on and will develop with time. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, me too. I yeah, yeah I get <laughs> But it's just interesting because, like, we go through those phases when we're trying to, like, learn what our voice is like. And we make all these... We, we try all these things. We try all these things on, like, styles, like, oh, we're going through a punk phase or, or we're going through an emo phase or whatever it is in high school, like with, with fashion, like you're trying them on, you're trying these pieces of clothing on, you're trying on these styles of filmmaking. You're like, what's going to stick. And what you realize, like after you've tried all these things on, it's like the person that you were like as a writer, like your whole life is actually where you end up. Yeah. 
in a weird roundabout way that's more informed, that's more adult, that's more influenced by what you've gone through. Your Um, own personal character development. Yeah. So it's like (laughs) a roundabout way of ending up where you always were, but with the trials and tribulations of trying on a whole bunch of other filmmaking identities that weren't yours. Yeah. Yeah. And you end up somewhere at the end, and you're like, huh. Cool. <laughs> oh, sweet. Sweet. I made dope. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of... I've, I've noticed about myself, at least, that I'm starting to round that corner. Like, I went I went through what you described, Rondo, where I was like, I'm going to try this hat on, and I'm going to try this shirt on, and I'm going to try these pants on. And now I'm finding that, oh... The outfit I wore before I started was the style of filmmaking that I really wanted to do all the time. I just had to go on that really long journey and try different things and like some of it and dislike some of it. And just just the act of going through that experience and that journey was what made me realize that where I was when I started was right along. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I just love hearing people like deconstruct their own like even albeit short careers so far for most of us. Like Yeah. So far. I, I, I still like really I much I much like become intrigued by more so us reflecting on like how we've grown over a certain amount of time and how some of our colleagues have grown over a certain amount of time than I do listening to like a big time director um, talking about how they've grown over time because their like longer career is condensed into this like this memory of all these condensed memories of how they got to where they were where versus us ours are so much shorter and you can kind of pinpoint certain moments and stuff like that yeah where definitely. things are still almost fresh enough that it's like almost like a memory like last year or the year before or, um and i find it it sometimes helps me grow talking about myself to other people and hearing them talk about themselves too definitely shall we wrap it up i think i think we're at a good spot i think so too yeah only this one such question a... left unanswered. When are we making the Around the Craft Table feature film? The Around what? the Craft Table what? what? Feature film about oh. us making a podcast. Oh, yeah. I think we should. Also, um, can we expand your Patreon to include uh, the regular podcast content as well? <laughs> like us? <laughs> if, if it was real... I'd consider it. <laughs> oh, wow. Amazing. Oh, of, course. of course. If it was real, <laughs> yes. But it's not real. Thanks, Will. Yeah, I made it up. It was it was it was a meme. It was it's always good to know meme. that you, you are uh, kind of hypothetically looking out for us. Yeah. <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, uh my well. God. This was a this was a really uh this was a good episode. This was fun. Yeah. It's good yeah. roundtable. Definitely discovered some interesting things and learned some. Well, I, I know mean, I learned some stuff. There might have been an unintended takeaway that you guys can take away from this podcast. Unintendedly failed. Which means <laughs> we failed. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a good weekend. Thanks. Take care. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Miranda from the Around the Craft Table team, and you've just heard Season 3, Episode 3, The Unintended Takeaway, a roundtable discussion on last week's essay, The Invisible Hand. 
This week's episode was executive produced and directed by Miles A. Taylor. It was edited by myself, Miranda Morose. It featured Miles, myself, and William Kupenstein on the panel. Special thanks to Joey Pecoraro for the music this week for our break track and our sign-off track. You can find the links to check out their stuff in the show notes. We're pretty excited for you to hear these conversations we've had and hope to spark some new conversations within your own circle of friends, collaborators, or just in the comments section. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and most third-party podcast apps as well. Connect with us on social media at ATCT Show, or just send us an email at craftablepodcast at gmail.com if you have any important questions or requests. We'd love to hear from you. Bye-bye.